And sometimes we as veterinarians think that we're supposed to be superheroes and we can't just be regular people too. And the more we recognize that we're all human, we're all trying to do the best we can, then things will be better. This is the With a Dog Podcast, a podcast for the modern dog parent. I'm your host, Carly, and every Wednesday I bring on pet professionals or some fellow dog parents, and we laugh, learn, and commiserate about everything from the confusing vet visits to dog park etiquette to the 2 a.m. potty breaks. Essentially, life with a dog. All right, a little trigger warning here for this episode. We do briefly speak about euthanasia of dogs and the grieving that can go along with that as well as mental health and death by suicide amongst veterinary professionals. We don't belabor these topics, so I hope that doesn't turn anyone off, but I did just want to give you a heads up. Guys, this episode, this episode, I am so happy to bring this to you. This is what I've been wanting to talk about. I've been wanting to talk about these serious issues in the pet industry ever since I started the podcast. Like that's one of the reasons I started and especially this organization, Not One More Vet. I've been wanting to speak with them for so long. I'm so happy that we were able to make this happen. You guys know I briefly worked at a vet hospital after college. Um, I was like receptionist, kind of vet assistant, you know, helped out a bit as well. So I'm not going to say that I was a tech or a, a doctor. I didn't have those experiences but I'm familiar with the environment and I've seen I've seen the flip side that a lot of pet parents aren't able to see. You know, when you go to your vet appointment and they take the dog back for vaccines or a blood draw or whatever, I've seen that behind the scenes part. Seen that behind the scenes. Okay. <laughs> and you guys know I am so – I love doing the fun episodes, like just talking about this ridiculous thing that we call life with a dog. But I think it's also really important for us as pet parents to be aware of what's happening also in the pet industry so that we can hopefully make some small difference. So that's why I'm doing this episode. I'm going to hit you guys with a few stats here. One in six veterinarians consider suicide at some point in their career. This is not a new problem. A study of California veterinarian deaths from 1960 to 1992, the rate of death by suicide was 2.6 times as high as that for the general public. The only thing that's changed in the last 30 years is that we're talking about it more. In addition to that, the average educational debt of a 2019 veterinary school graduate was 149877 That is a lot of school debt. You may say, yeah, they're, they're graduating from veterinary medical school. They're a doctor. Well, they also don't make what human doctors make. They make significantly less. In addition to all of that, there has been a huge workforce crisis within the veterinary community, especially over the last two years of the pandemic. There's a significant amount of compassion fatigue and burnout because they have been trying to keep up as essential workers with the needs of our dogs. You will learn about all of this and more in today's episode. We talk about the multiple factors leading to the mental health crisis in the veterinary community, you know, such as emotional whiplash, crisis of there not being enough vets to serve all the animals, how pandemic life has really impacted them. And I know a lot of you may know someone who works in the veterinary field, maybe a friend or family member, maybe just the person who occasionally dog sits for you. If you know someone who's maybe struggling, mental health-wise, or you can tell they seem to be burnt out from their job, there are resources that Not One More Vet has on their website. In addition, it's all in the show notes. So we talk about how you can help them. And then most importantly, we talk about how you can help as a pet parent. Dr. Melanie is our guest today, and she did such a great job of explaining the issues 
as well as giving us advice of like what we can do as clients to somehow hopefully make a difference within this mental health crisis. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I hope you take something away from it. So let's get into it a little bit more about our guest. Dr. Melanie Goble is a small animal veterinarian that travels around the world to help animals and those that care for them. She is a retired board member of Not One More Vet, and she has many hard conversations that are led with compassion and with a goal of understanding and never leaving anyone alone. So, Dr. Melanie, welcome to the With a Dog podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm very excited to have you here. This has been a long time coming in my mind. So before we delve into everything, can you just briefly introduce yourself and if you have any pets to the listeners? Sure. So I'm Dr. Melanie Goebel, as you said, and I am a small animal veterinarian. I mainly treat dogs and cats, but occasionally end up with some pocket pets like your rabbits and gerbils and hamsters and so forth. Um, <laughs> and every once in a while, I end up with, you know, goats and donkeys and roosters. Oh, very fun. Completely crazy. Uh, <laughs> but I travel. So instead of having a specific clinic um, that I work at all the time, I go between clinics to help the other veterinarians and clinics uh, keep moving when they need time off for work or for medical reasons or to go to continuing education because we all have to do that. And so I step in and help them out. So I travel all over to do that. Okay. So you travel around where, where are you located in the country? I'm located in Wisconsin, um, okay. but I'm actually licensed in Alaska and Wisconsin and Kentucky and Michigan and Indiana. And most recently in uh, Newfoundland, Canada, um, oh, wow. I've also worked in Maine and in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and I even went down to Texas for a while after Hurricane Harvey to Amazing. help out the animals down there. So when you travel around to help at all the other clinics, is it like a long-term thing, like if someone's out on maternity leave, or is it usually just for like a week? Uh, well, it used to be that I might be at seven different clinics in a week. Uh, but because of COVID, you know, things change, so I've been trying to stick with maternity leaves and kind of long-term coverages, mm -hmm. uh, because the last thing I want to do is be a vector and, and take yes. COVID from one place to another. <laughs> to Alaska and to Canada. And to, yeah. Right? No. Let's not do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very wise. Um, okay. That's really interesting. I just was asking more. I was delving more into that because I, I feel like me, as well as a lot of our listeners, there's so many different facets of the way you can be a veterinarian. And so I think that is, is just interesting, like, route to take. Um, oh, but yes. on the other aspect, how did you start working with or how did you get started with NOMVI? Uh, well, with NOMVI, I have been involved since almost the beginning. Uh, so NOMVI itself started uh, as a very small Facebook group a group of friends that just wanted to talk about the stress after the death of Dr. Sophia Yin via suicide. And Dr. Nicole, Nicole MacArthur, who started NAMVI, she was talking to her friends and realized that they all were feeling like they were very isolated and they were dealing with depression and anxiety and all of these things that just made our jobs a little bit harder. Uh, and everybody felt like they were all alone and nobody mm -hmm. else was feeling this. So she started the or, or the Facebook group on October 1st of 2014. And I was invited by a friend, a veterinary friend that I met in a writing group, actually. <laughs> and she said, hey, I heard about this. You want to join? And so I joined two weeks later um, in 2014. And then in okay. 27 or 16, they're like, oh, my goodness, we have so many people wanting to join. We need help. And so I came on to help with membership and to make sure that all the people that were coming in were actually veterinarians, because we talk about a lot of sensitive subjects. And then in 2017, we started the nonprofit. So I was a founding board member. And I just retired from the board because I needed to take some time off for my mental and physical health. But I've been involved from the very beginning. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So you really got the the whole grassroots from it being a social feeling kind of and a movement amongst a lot of veterinarians and, and people right. who just wanted a community and a sounding boards all the way to nonprofit and where it is today. 
That's amazing. Correct. That's yeah, awesome. It has yeah. been it has been a wild ride. We started COVID with no employees. It was all volunteer, and now we have six. Oh employees. my gosh! Wow, and over thirty thousand veterinary members. And we went from just the vet group to having a vet group, a support staff group, and a student group, and a whole lot of other projects and programs. And it's amazing and wonderful and terrifying all at once. Oh. <laughs> I bet. I bet. I want to dive into this so badly. I'm so excited. But just like a little <laughs> background info, definitely for all the listeners, is what is NOMV as far as like services provided and as a nonprofit, kind of what is it? So NAMVI, or Not One More Vet, uh, is an organization with the mission of transforming the status of uh, mental wellness within the profession so that veterinary professionals can survive and thrive through education, resources, and support. So that's our mission statement. Okay. Um, but how do we do that is we actually address well-being in veterinary medicine through multiple pathways. Um, we have evidence-based peer support, which is those groups on Facebook, and we have some other uh, programs that are launching. We have a comprehensive program uh, providing leadership focused on wellness. We have grant programs for veterinary professionals to uh, seek fiscal assistance during times of crisis and also for clinics that go through natural disasters. Uh, and then we also have a research arm to help figure out why this is happening, what's going on, why are we having an issue, um, and that is to help further the advancement of wellness, mental health, and reducing suicide in veterinary professionals. Okay. So that just kind of touches on all the little things that we do. <laughs> no, it's it's a huge amount of things, especially since it was only started, as you said, four years ago in in the professional sense of yeah. like the nonprofit foundation. Um, yeah, that's an amazing amount of services. I really... I'm really interested in that that research aspect that you kind of talked about of like, why is this happening and, and getting down to the roots of the problem. So on that note, why is NOMV needed? I mean, you kind of talked about like why it was started right way at the beginning, but like in modern day veterinary community, why is it so pertinent and needed? Yeah, so, you know, we have some mental wellness issues. Um, our job is hard. Uh, both as veterinarians and our technicians, our uh, customer support representatives, it's really difficult. And some of that science and the research that's being done has shown that male veterinarians actually have a 1.6 time uh, risk of dying by suicide compared to the general public. Female veterinarians are 2.4 times more likely. Male technicians are five times more likely to die by suicide wow. than the general public. And female technicians are 2.3 times. Um, and that is too much. <clears throat> you know, we're a very small community when we really get down to it and say, yeah. wow, there's when we look at the entire world and it, this is not just an American thing. Like those numbers are based on American numbers, but mm -hmm. um, they actually transfer across countries and continents. And it's a it's a major worldwide issue for veterinarians. And if we don't have veterinarians, we don't have veterinary technicians. We can't take care of your dogs. It's interesting that it is a worldwide issue because I can really only speak to like my American experience and what the veterinary experience is like here. I mean, I lived in London briefly and I felt that it was very similar as far as my experience as a client over there. Um, I didn't work in the community when I lived over there, though, so I didn't know the, the interworkings of everything. But yeah, that is very interesting that it's worldwide of this shared experience. So you mentioned the research that NAMV does. Mm -hmm. So I guess I guess the question is like, is there a root issue? Is there some kind of defined like what I guess I don't want to say causes these mental health issues because I know it can be so many factors, but like so in your experience. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it is definitely multifactorial. There's not one thing that causes it. That would be that easy. being said. <laughs> right. That would be so easy. And that research would be like, done. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Got it. Let me have a whole bunch of money for that. Uh, <laughs> but no. So one, when we specifically are looking at veterinarians, um, there was a really interesting study that was done on including first-year veterinary students. So it looked at first-year veterinary students, professional athletes, and high-achieving high school students. Okay. And it found that veterinary students um, are 
at higher risk of major depressive episodes, just to start with, just basic personality <laughs> types, um, that we have a significant fear of failure and that we don't handle failure, failure well. And that we are highly competitive. We are actually more competitive than professional athletes. I uh, believe it. And I, yeah, I mean, well, just to get through veterinary school and, right. <laughs> and you have to be high achieving, I think. To Right. So we have to be go-getters. We have to be able to go in and do all the things just to get there. And then vet school itself is hard. It is. It is hard. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. Uh, am I glad I did it? Yes. Would I do it again? Uh, yes, because I love being a vet, but it was rough. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. So when we put that into perspective and we say, okay, well, what are we, who are we competing against or what are we competing against? We're competing against death. Mm. And when okay. we lose, someone's best friend dies. Mm -hmm. And that is hard. Yes. And we don't learn how to deal with that failure. We're not taught okay. that. So that's one of the things that Nambi tries to do is try and say, okay, how do you deal with this when you've done everything right, when you've done everything you could, and you still lose that fight? Mm -hmm. Death wins that day. So we help, well, like we work with people and we say, okay, how many cases have you seen in the last week mm -hmm. or in the last day? Because <laughs> right now yeah. things are very, very busy. Yes. So let's say in your last hundred cases, how many things went well? If you had one patient die that wasn't supposed to die, that's still a 99% success rate. But for that one patient that dies, they come with people mm -hmm. that that's their 100%. And yes. so a lot of times we are dealing with our own our feelings of failure. We're feeling with dealing with our own feelings of remorse and regret, even though we did everything right, we still feel bad. And that family feels bad. And a lot of times they take it out on us. Okay. And keyboard warriors... It's easy to become one. You don't know the full story of what happened. And there's a lot of cyberbullying. Um, you know, mm. that's not the primary cause of all of this, but it certainly doesn't help. And so we're beating ourselves up. And then we have the public beating up on us and friends and strangers and everybody else piles on. And it's it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to know that we we did everything we could. And often we have constraints on what we can do. You know, because I, mean, of, I would love to treat everyone for free, but yeah, you know, if you don't have the money to do that surgery, like I can't pay for that myself. You know, yes, um, we have high student debt in the United States. Uh, you know, there's students that are coming out with five hundred thousand worth of student debt and might only make eighty thousand dollars a year. Um, you know, they're never going to be able to pay back their student loans. And they're like, oh, people are like, well, I've paid for this wing of the hospital. I pay for your, you know, fancy car. And we're like, I have a 1982 Toyota. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and mm -hmm. it's, I mean, that's not what I personally have, but that's what we often see. We're like, see that like worst looking car in the parking lot? That's yeah. often the vet's car. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and then our support staff, I mean, they make even less than we do and they have even more hands-on contact with the patients on the day-to-day, -day, you know, treatment levels and all of that, just like a human doctor and a nurse, mm -hmm. you know, you see the doctor for a little bit, they're doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes that you don't see. Um, but you have a lot more of that hands-on contact with the nursing staff and the technical staff for the, the veterinary clinics. It's the same thing. Like they get very, very attached to our patients. I mean, we do too, but they even more so, um, especially in those critical care settings. Oh my goodness. So it seems, as you said, it's it's multifactorial and dealing with the death of just like patients. And and is it because you have to it sounds like they have to deal with the death of the patient that they, you know, put their all into into saving and and, you know, essentially caring for. And then they have to deal with the family aspect of Mm -hmm. explaining to the the family or the client the parents what happened right. and and their children oh my gosh <laughs> who, who yeah. no one bring your children to the vet oh my god <laughs> yes uh, uh, you know i'd rather i mean it's horrible but i i honestly would rather have kids learn about dealing with death with mm -hmm. a pet when they're young when they still have the neuroplasticity to to learn how to grieve properly 
yeah. than to have their first experience with grief be a parent or That's a true. sibling. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it hurts and it sucks. Pardon my yeah. language. But <laughs> it's like, I mean, I it, death is part of life and mm-hmm. we all have to deal with it. And yes. there's healthy ways to deal with death and there's less healthy ways to deal with death. But we all grieve in our own way, and there's no way that's wrong. But also to put that on the veterinarian to potentially explain to the child, I mean, I I agree with what you're saying. But also, I mean, that's a whole nother – you were talking about counseling, you know, the veterinary community of like, oh, look how many patients you have saved. It's like that's another level of having to counsel the client and potentially the kids Mm -hmm. on this is what happened – I feel like that's a professional thing that people need to learn how to do as well, which I'm sure is not, I'm sure there's not a course on that. Is there in veterinary school? No, not really. No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I thankfully have a degree in psychology before I went to vet school. And I recommend anyone that wants to go to vet school, like study psychology. Well, actually, no matter what you do in life, study psychology because you have to deal with people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it will help. And you still have to deal with yourself. Uh, but I will say one of the, I had the most amer- amazing experience with a family and a dog and their child. Uh, this was oh, probably 10, 15 years ago. Uh, but this family came in, their dog was having nonstop seizures. Um, we had to anesthetize the dog to stop the seizures. Um, and every time we tried to wake her up, she'd start seizing again. Mm. And so I talked with the parents about, you know, this is, this is not good. Um, and they stepped out of the room to talk and left their like nine-year-old in the room with me and the dog. (laughs) And so we had this, this child and I had a really good conversation about dog heaven. And she's Mm -hmm. like, I think dog heaven is kind of like recess at school, but I'm scared that my dog won't have any friends Mm -hmm. in dog heaven because kids don't always have friends at recess. (laughs) And so I let her know I had just recently lost my Dalmatian, Jackson. And so I said, you know what? His job in dog heaven is actually to make sure all the dogs have friends. And so she had me describe what he looked like to her dog so that her dog would know who to look for. (laughs) And, you know, she's like, I I think I'm okay, but that she she needs to die because she's she's really sick and I don't want her hurting. Yeah. And the parents came back in a couple minutes later and they were trying to talk about it, but not talk about it because they didn't know how to talk about death Mm -hmm. of their dog to their child. Yeah. And I was like, you know, we just, I told them, we just had this conversation and I let them know. And just the relief in their bodies, like you could just see their whole bodies just relax, knowing that they didn't have to have this conversation. (laughs) that I just had (laughs) with the child that I had never met before. Um, And I was like, you know, she's, she's okay with it. And she said, yes, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And so they decided to euthanize. And, um, you know, we always ask uh, at this time, it was easy to be present and we could have more people because it was not COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they asked if she wanted to be present. And her biggest fear at that point was she had heard about cremation from someone and she thought she would have to like watch the dog be put into the crematorium. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 you don't need to do that. Um, and so she stayed present and she just pet her dog and just loved on her and just kept telling her, you know, I love you and Jackson's going to be there for you. And, you know, we'll see you again one day. And it was amazing. I mean, nobody taught me to have that conversation, Um, but I think it's just part of being human. And Mm -hmm. sometimes people forget that veterinarians are human too. (laughs) Yes. Um, And sometimes we as veterinarians think that we're supposed to be superheroes and we can't just be regular people too. And Mm -hmm. the more we recognize that we're all human, we're all trying to do the best we can. Mm Mm-hmm then things will be better. Yeah. If we just recognize that. Yes. I think your story, I mean, it was a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it really shows in that moment, in that experience you had, you were the doctor, the babysitter, 
for a moment the you know the grief counselor for the the ch- child and the parents you know kind of like counseling them through this experience and then back to doctor and as you said just human just someone who's sharing this this very heart-wrenching experience with them and it just it proves a little bit even more of like what you were saying of all of the mental health aspects or how this can hit the mental health of anyone in the veterinary community because you're doing all those things. And what if you have that same experience again later that day? It's like, that's Mm -hmm. a lot. That's a lot to deal with. And then you get up and you go back to work the next day. Maybe you have a normal day, but you know, what is normal? You know, it's back to back patients (laughs) and and vaccines and like, maybe there's no emergency situation, but that doesn't mean that it's not still, I think, draining mentally and emotionally. So we always talk about veterinary medicine being uh, emotional whiplash all day long Mm. because you go from, you know, your happy new puppy appointment to euthanizing someone's 15-year-old schnauzer and then you go into the next room and you have to diagnose somebody with cancer and then you have another puppy appointment or just a wellness appointment and then you have the hit by car suddenly rush in and then you have a surgery that has a complication or whatever and like you just have to move so quickly mm-hmm. in between appointments that we basically stuff everything like all of those emotions into a box and the goal is you're supposed to unpack that box at the end of the day but you're exhausted mm-hmm. and so you don't yeah and then suddenly all those boxes just explode Okay. And you don't have, we don't take, we often don't take the time to deal with all of that that's happening internally for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's for the entire staff. Um, you know, we, we all really, we do everything we can. And, you know, sometimes we can't hold it anymore and we just break it down into tears at work. And, you know, you get your two minute bathroom break where you're just like, I'm not even peeing because I'm too upset. (laughs) Um, And you just sit there and cry and then you have to wash your face and go back to the next room. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that I do, which I think is really important and I encourage other uh, veterinary professionals to do is when you walk into that appointment with that super sweet dog or that kitten or the new puppy or whatever, you know, I look at the owners and I say, hello, I just need some snuggle time and I just snuggle, we all get out, (laughs) (laughs) out of that dog or cat, assuming they're amenable to it. Like if it's biting off my face, then no, but, (laughs) um, you know, I just take that snuggle time and, and I will straight out say, you know, I've had a really rough day. I just need a moment if you're okay with that. And then you will have my full attention. Um, so if your vet ever does that, just know it's been an exceptionally hard day and we might not be able to tell you that we just had three euthanasias Mm -hmm. in a row um, or that we just diagnosed a whole lot of animals with a whole lot of really bad things. Mm -hmm. Um, So just giving us a minute. (laughs) Yeah. um, So that we can be present for you is really, it's a gift for us and we very much appreciate it. I feel like that would be, for me at least, from the the dog parent perspective, that would be an ego boost for me. I'm like, oh my gosh, is my dog helping you in any way? Like, please go ahead. <laughs> right? <laughs> I know. And sometimes we just need cuddle time because, let's face it, I mean, you're bringing in a little beagle puppy. Like, oh they're adorable. So cute. So cute. <laughs> or a little chow puppy before they, like, get grumpy. <laughs> they're still adorable and sweet. Um, you know, we have until, what, 16 weeks yeah. <laughs> before they start to show their chow colors. Um, and I love chows. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I absolutely love them. But, you know, they're, yeah. they're not your your most snuggled they're puppy not as adults. They're <laughs> not the, the normal definition of dog, I don't oh, think. Right. Yes, They're not a golden sure. retriever. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so you mentioned it earlier of or in that example, you said when vets can like, I just need a minute. I just had three euthanasias or, you know, you you have your two minute bathroom break. And I think that is another aspect of the veterinary community 
that I definitely experienced um, when I was working in it, as well as when I was at the shelter of the it's like overworked, underpaid, go, 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 you know, and mm-hmm. and especially nowadays with yeah. COVID pandemic life, um, it really seems like there is this crisis in the veterinary community as far as mm-hmm. there's more animals in the world than there are vets to take care of them. Maybe not the mm-hmm. world in the U.S. at least. Um, I think the AVMA like came out with that article that kind of just said that there's so many animals in the world, so many pets in the U.S. right now, and only so many veterinarians that are graduating from vet school. And even around Seattle here, there are a lot of emergency uh, vet hospitals that are closing. And so now it starts like Lupin, um, this is like a year ago at this point, but he got a bite on his ear from another dog. So we need to take him in to get it all stitched up. And and like I'm calling around to vet office after or hospital because it was at night. It was like vet hospital after vet hospital. All of them like, mm-hmm. well, it's not an emergency. So you're looking at an eight hour wait or, you know, yeah, yeah, drive out here. It's two hours away, but we can get mm-hmm. you in. And, you know, it's just like, yeah, which I understood, I think, from my perspective, because I've been in touch, you know, with just how overwhelming and constant it is. Mm-hmm. Are you able to speak to the the nonstop part of the job and how that can definitely affect like mental health and, and why you think that that is something so prevalent too in the Mm -hmm. vet community, why it it seems to never slow down and it seems to be always a shortage of workers. Right. So once again, multifactorial. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So one, if we look at the number of veterinarians and once again, this problem is also worldwide. worldwide. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, So if we take into account that one, on average, about, you know, the baby boomers are retiring. So we have about 2000 retiring veterinarians per year. Okay. Um, We have, oh, let's see, the number changed recently. I think there's 38 veterinary schools in the US and Canada. um, And they all graduate roughly 70 to 130 students per year. Of those, so I, I'm not doing all the math in my head. I yeah, yeah. use calculators because you know decimal <laughs> place in the wrong thing in the wrong space kills things. So I always use calculators. Uh, <laughs> so um, we have all of them, but of those veterinarians, not all of them are going into small animal. Some of them are going into research, into laboratories. Some are going into large animals. Some are going into equine. Some are going into zoo medicine. Um, some are going into public health. Yeah, um, in fact the. Um, the CEO, I believe, of Pfizer is a veterinarian. Uh, so veterinarians brought you COVID vaccines. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we have all of these different places that veterinarians are going to. Mm-hmm. And then we have, so we have fewer veterinarians available to work in small animal. Um, we have, I believe it was something like, I think in the U.S. alone, it was something like 3.5 million additional animals have come into homes in the last two years. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, right now there's something like somewhere between a hundred and a thousand job ap- or job openings per veterinarian. And then we wow. have that veterinary medicine right now has a majority of women and yes. women do the majority of childcare. But ch- children are being in virtual schooling or need to be homeschooled. And so veterinarians are either stopping work or working part time so that they can also take care of the children. Uh, that's not to say that men are not important <laughs> in child rearing, <laughs> but I mean, the fact is most women. Maternity leave, role. all that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it right. plays yeah. in. So yeah. we have all of that. People are still having babies. So we still have people going on maternity leave, which is helpful for me because that's, you know, my bread and butter right now. <laughs> um, we have people getting sick and dying from COVID. We have COVID closing hospitals. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, the maternity leave that I just covered, I was supposed to work through the, uh, through January 7th. Well, the last two weeks I worked one day. Um, just so I could finish up some cases. Um, but they essentially, one week, they had to close down completely because of COVID. And then the following week, um, three quarters of the staff was out sick 
wow. or yeah. in isolation. So we basically were just seeing emergencies and as a day practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the emergency clinic that is closest is only open half the week because they don't have enough staff to work, um, both support staff and veterinarians. And, you know, we, we see the great resignation that's happening all over the place. And unfortunately, the the pay for veterinary staff specifically is super, super low. Mm-hmm. Um, I It breaks my heart. I, I can't change it, unfortunately, myself. But, you know, these people that are taking care of your pets, you know, even with degrees in as a veterinary technician, a licensed veterinary technician, which is the equivalent of an RN. Yeah. They're often making $15 an hour. Oh my gosh. So they're like, you know what? I Right now I have close contact with people. Um, you know, we cannot maintain a six foot distance within a clinic because <laughs> most of our patients are not six feet long, <laughs> uh, you know? And so that they're at risk, you know, in many places we're considered essential personnel, um, but we don't yeah. get any of the, of the benefits of essential personnel like other essential personnel. <laughs> yes. Um, because in the long run, unless you're working in food animal medicine, the world can go on without us. It just really sucks when you're the pet parent. Because yeah. then where do you go when you have a dog bite on the ear? Exactly. Um, and so then these clinics, and then they were also doing curbside, which takes more time. You have increased cleaning protocols. Mm-hmm. All of these things take more time. And then a lot of places decided, you know what, we're not going to take on new clients. If a client brings in a new animal, yes, we'll see them, but not a new client altogether. So if you're moving or you're a first-time pet parent, it's really hard to find a vet. Uh, so then those people are then going to the ER. <laughs> and, you know, they have an ear infection, which, yes, an ear infection is uncomfortable. Um but, you know, in my experience, most people wait a week or two before they bring them in anyway. So another yeah. day or two is not, you know, going to kill your dog. Yeah. Like it's, do we want to take care of them? Do we want them to be pain-free? Yes. Is your dog with an ear infection more critical than a dog with a GDV? No. <laughs> um, and then we're also still trying to catch up from all of the things that got canceled the first six months or so of the pandemic when we had to stop doing surgeries. Because we had to give all of our PPP or PEP to um, the human hospitals. They took our gloves. They mm-hmm. took, you know, surgical supplies. They they took our ventilators from the ERs. Wow. Um, they shouldn't I didn't say know they that. Took. They, yeah. we, we gr- gladly gave them. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there's some places that uh, in other parts of the world that they actually went to vet clinics and they forcibly took the products. And there was no wow. reimbursement for that. Um, you know, so there's, there's so many things. So we're still trying to catch up on all of those. Mm-hmm. And if you choose not to spay or neuter and your dog has a pyometra, yes, that's an emergency, but that was preventable. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got the vaccine, so they didn't get parvo, like there's so many things that are preventable. We're still catching up on some of these prevention things. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're doing the things that that's recommend, um, for your preventative care, that's going to help in the long run. Okay. Um, because those things clog up those emergency rooms too. Oh my goodness. So as you said, it definitely sounds like it's so <laughs> multifactorial <laughs> and, and so many it's things. It's exhausting. Yeah. We all of these things at one time. Yes, exactly. On top of the emotional whiplash that you were talking about right. earlier. <laughs> On top <laughs> of the emotional whiplash. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So what is the opinions or kind of things of how to improve upon this this situation specifically as far as like the overworked, you know, underpaid aspect? Is it like a bigger push for pet insurance so so people could feel comfortable mm-hmm. financially? Is it, it is it getting more people into veterinary schools, more people into the um into the roles? <laughs> like what what do you is there something I don't know that's like in the works uh, yeah. or there? There's so many things. <laughs> Once again, multifactorial. <laughs> um, so yes, I mean, if more people had pet insurance, that would be great. Then we're not dealing with the moral distress of 
talking about euthanizing because you can't pay for something and then owners get very upset with us at what our prices are. Yeah. And in order to improve the staffing issues, we have to raise prices so that we can pay our staff better. Mm -hmm. Uh, But every time we raise prices, it's like, oh my goodness, the world is coming to an end. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's not. We, Mm -hmm. you know, it's five more dollars. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it's really important. (laughs) We need to do this. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that's definitely pet insurance is going to help with that to, to a lot of the issues. Now, most pet insurances don't cover your preventative care stuff. Um, There's some that do, but not most. Um, but they're going to take care of those emergency things. Um, you know, we we would love to get more people in, both mm-hmm. as veterinarians and as support staff. Uh, but once again, we have to have a way to pay them. And we have to find a way to stop the enormous amount of debt that yeah. veterinarians are coming out with. Because people are now looking at vet school and they're like, I can't afford to go to vet school. And so yeah. these people that would be wonderful veterinarians are opting to go into some other line of work. Yeah. Um, veterinary technicians and assistants are opting to go into human healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm really happy for human healthcare because these are going to be amazing uh, people. Like just their skills that they learn from vet med um, will help them in that. And they're going to be great and they're going to be compassionate and caring and they're going into it because they love it, but they also are doing it because they need more money. Yeah. And when people talk about human healthcare not making enough money um, as far as the nursing staff and so forth, you know, it's a significant upgrade in pay yeah. <laughs> for our staff. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, that's crazy. Um, you know, one of the things that we're really working on is helping people, one, find uh, mental health providers. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to say, yes, I am actually seeing someone and I'm dealing with some of the issues in my own head <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know, dealing with that feel of failure and competitiveness and, you know, dealing with, you know, those cases that just go bad. How do you, how do you move on? Um, so encouraging people to get that mental health care. I recommend everybody get it. This, the last two years have been traumatizing to all of us. Mm-hmm. And even if you think you're handling it really well you're probably not. (laughs) And you're probably just stuffing things into boxes. And I recognize that because I've done that for so long. Um, And one time it's going to blow up on you. Um, And then, you know, changing the face of, of wellness, you know, making sure our veterinary clinics taking care of their staff and their doctors, are they um, just pushing them to do more and produce more and to do this and to do that, but not taking care of them as people. Mm -hmm. Um, That's huge. Uh, And then as far as the general public goes, just be nice to us. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing the best we can. And, you know, we don't expect you to be happy when something bad happens. We don't expect that. But we do ask that you recognize that you're not the only one that's feeling bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And our goal is always to make things better. Um, you know, not long ago, I had a, a dog come in that I diagnosed in heart failure, but it also had glaucoma and it had a whole bunch of other issues. And I started a medication and the dog had a reaction to that medication. And I was kicking myself up one way and down the other. And I was, it really hit me hard. Like the dog did fine. He had gone, he did go to the emergency clinic. They figured out what happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I told the owner, I am so sorry. Like now I, I knew that this was a risk and I spaced. I made a mistake. I was human. Mm-hmm. And she told me, she's like, you're human. Like, do I wish this never happened? Yes. But yeah. everything turned out okay. We're fine. And then I was able to take that. And one, I will never make the mistake that I made again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I was able to talk to 3,000 plus of my, or 30,000 plus of my closest veterinary friends. And now <laughs> they are not going to make that mistake either. Mm-hmm. Um, so we learn from it and we change and we do better. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we're trying to get better from our end. And we just ask for some compassion and some grace. Uh, we we want to learn from what we do wrong. And we are human. We are going to make mistakes. That's the thing is it, you you spoke earlier about veterinary students, first year veterinary students, how they're go-getters and high achievers and competitive, but you don't go into this field 
especially into an office, into small animal veterinary care, if you are compassionless, you know, if you're not a compassionate right. person to at, at a very basic level of like you are going into this field to help these animals. And and I think that is something that a lot of people need to recognize. And I've seen that on the the back end, for sure. It's just what you were saying is is everyone's human. And But when I worked in the veterinary hospital and it was a six doctor practice and, you know, I could see like at the end of the day or after an appointment, you know, that the doctor would would show compassion and have to, you know, walk a client through a diagnosis as well as an estimate for the treatment and and then they close the door they leave and they're in the back hallway and they're just like excuse my french but just like fuck you know <laughs> like you can just it, it's like a weight on the shoulder and they're just mm-hmm. like god you know that is a great dog i've been seeing them since they were a puppy and now i just diagnosed it with cancer at age six like gosh you know right. like it's like there's the compassion in there too it's like you know you know they're just they are heartbroken as well about Mm -hmm. a lot of these things and um and just as hard on themselves as you said for you know if a mistake is made or if something isn't caught or you know like lupin um my older dog he's had quite a few medical things in his life and he's addisonian Mm. so of course they did you know a bajillion tests before they actually found out that it, we're able to diagnose Addison's disease. And um, for those people who don't know, it is kind of like, there's like some term is like a... We call it the great pretender. Thank you. That it's, one is. Yes. It yes. was like the great pretender because it could be so many other things before you get to that like diagnosis. Everything. Exactly. Yes. And and so they had to do all these tests and then I you know, get the bill for all of these tests. And mm-hmm. you could just see that they were like, I'm sorry, we did this because he had like a minor seizure. And then we did this because his potassium was low. We did, you know, and it, and so, right. and it makes sense. But, but then, you know, they're like, it wasn't a mistake necessarily to have to do all these diagnostic tests, but that you could tell they felt bad because then, then they're now like charging mm-hmm. me for everything. Right. And, but I knew them, I had worked with them and I was like, that's, that's fine. You know, like I'm like, as, at least we have an answer now. And, and, but you can see it is what I was saying is like, and I've had that experience of seeing it behind, you know, kind of peek behind the curtain a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and so speaking of that peek behind the curtain, I guess my question is if anyone knows someone in a veterinary community, what if you can just tell that they are struggling mental health wise significantly and you want to do more than just you should get a therapist man you know like what you know is there something (laughs) like is there's does like nomvi have someone that they could get in touch with you know give them a card give them a number or something so for the veterinary community yes Yes. you can certainly send them to nomvi and we will do what we can to help them um one of the uh places that we really recommend is for people to go to psychologytoday.com and you can find therapists there. Um, in fact, when I was struggling, uh, a colleague at NAMVI, uh, Dr. Carrie Journey, she and I, like she pulled up psychology today. She's in California. I'm in Wisconsin. And we've known each other long enough that she knows that, you know, I'm not really into the woo-woo type stuff. Like <laughs> we're very science-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, she went through and found like five or six people in my area. And she's like, just look at these five or six. Because me going onto the website, it was way too, too much okay. for where I was. Yeah. And she's like, just look at these. And I was like, well, this one's still too woo woo. I, I can't do that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but these two look great. And then I contacted them. So she helped me find someone that way. And I have an amazing therapist now. I absolutely love her um, and has helped me so much. Um, and I have needed it so much during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way. If they already have a therapist, you can offer to call and just be like, hey, do you have an appointment set up? Do you want me to call and set something up for you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being like, hey, you know, you've have you ever felt like this before? Have you been really stressed out? Have you been really depressed? You know, and if so, what helped before? 
Yeah. And if they say, you know, riding my horse, but my horse died. You're like, you know what? I have a friend with horses. Let me contact them and see if we can go riding together. I know it's not exactly the same, but I know that that's important to you. You know, I love that what you just said as far as just doing maybe a little bit of the beginning work for someone. And that's how you can help. Because I think when I think about anything in my life, it, it really is just like the starting and the you know, the getting, making it happen because at beginning, it seems so overwhelming. And, and so I think that's really, really, really good advice for anyone. You know, if, if they're in the veterinary community, as you said, NOMB is a great resource, but otherwise the psychology today of just like, maybe doing a little bit, just saying like, here, here's some people in your area. Here's their phone numbers. You don't want to jump on the phone. Here's the emails, you know, or whatever. Right. And and I think that could be so helpful. I love what you said too about the the horseback riding or just finding something that they love and inserting a little bit of happiness mm-hmm. or something that could uplift them enough that then they maybe can take some more steps after that. Right. And we've all had those friends that hate their jobs. You know, we we all have those people who are you know every single day from work they get home they're just like oh you know so and so did this and the client was awful and my boss is terrible you know all of that and then i feel like a lot of times that what a solution would be is like okay well then leave you know like okay you're i can tell the company culture at wherever you work is not great but Mm -hmm. with the vet community as you said this problem is is inherent exactly it's (laughs) everywhere so it's not just like a move to a different hospital so i can definitely see how people can feel like there's nowhere to turn you know like they're like i there's as you said it's emotional whiplash so they have moments of deep despair but then flip it and they have moments of great joy when the puppy comes in or you know that old dog that's just rickety but so adorable or whatever it is and and so so it's not like that the job itself is so joyless or so miserable because obviously they are experiencing moments of happiness and the camaraderie that you get at a vet hospital. I absolutely love that was something that I found really, really hard to replicate in other jobs that I've had. So it sounds like, you know, people may not want to leave the type of job that they're in they because otherwise they'd be looking at a complete career change and it's like no i got into this career for a reason and i just have all of these other issues that come inherently right. into it so yeah i i love all the resources that you just gave and uh what Namvi is doing is so important obviously since it's grown so quickly over time it's obvious that it's very much needed I think the last question that I just have, and you've already kind of touched on it, I just want to make it more of a pointed question. And that is, you've said, you know, showing a little bit more compassion uh, when you're interacting with anyone in the vet community as a client. Is there anything else that clients can do to make a difference during their interactions at the vet office? Just because a lot of it, mainly people who listen to this podcast are dog parents not Mm -hmm. working in the vet community. And I know they're aware of these issues a lot of times, but don't know what they can do to make a difference in their interactions. So is there anything aside from that kind of showing more compassion that you can think of? Yeah. um, You know, saying thank you, Mm. um, it goes a long way. (laughs) Yeah. Especially saying thank you nicely without sarcasm. (laughs) Um, That could be huge. Um, I know all of us keep any cards that we've ever gotten from someone. Mm-hmm. Like we all have boxes of cards that we pull out when we're having a bad day. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're just like, I need this. And, you know, don't put death threats in them. Um, <laughs> you know, don't, don't send us death threats. We would like yeah. that. Um, oh that happens way too often. Wow. Um, big things are ask questions. Okay. We, we want you to understand what's going on. We want you to be an informed decision maker mm-hmm. when things happen, um, you know, and keep an open mind because, you know, we did not go to Dr. Google to get our answers for you. <laughs> um, and Dr. <laughs> Google did not actually go to vet school. Um, so there's a lot of really, really bad advice online. So if you have questions about something, even though we are exhausted and we are having a really hard time uh, keeping up with all the phone calls and the emails and all of that, 
You know, if you have a non-emergent email or question, then email us the question or a list of questions rather than like 10 emails in one day, maybe send one email with 10 questions. <laughs> uh, we would like that. Or, you know, call with, you know, your questions and give those questions to the receptionist or the customer service rep representative when they ask. Don't just say, well, I just want to talk to Dr. Melanie. Mm -hmm. Like one, we need to know why you need to talk to us. And if I can get those answers to you through a technician or through the client service representative, um, or I can email you because there's not enough time in the day to call everyone back every day. Mm. Um, you know, we try to get back to you as soon as we can. Um, but there's a finite amount of time that we have each day. We still only have 24 hours and we try not to spend all 24 hours at work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you have a loved one that's in the veterinary community, or if you have a friend or you happen to be on social media with a veterinary professional, don't use Facebook to contact the person and ask about it, mm -hmm. about whatever question you have. Like, yeah. We, we need to have downtime. Mm -hmm. um, we need to be able to be like, oh, yeah, I have a message and actually have a message that says, hey, I was just thinking about you. You're great. Do you want to go to dinner? Versus, hi, how are you doing? My neighbor's cat's, you know, kitten had <laughs> XYZ happen. And you're like, what? <laughs> no just yeah like use social media for social engagements not you know trying to get away from having to pay for a veterinary appointment mm -hmm. um you know if you see someone this one is huge if you see someone on social media like completely tearing down a vet or a clinic or a technician or whatever before you jump in and be like oh my goodness that's so horrible Remember that you're probably only getting a third of the story. Yeah. Um, and say, you know, I, you know, I happen to know that clinic and, you know, they've been really great for me. Why don't you send them a message and, and get some clarification? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if we have people that jump in to support us, it is so helpful. Um, and don't put up posts that say, hey, where can I go to find a cheap vet? Mm. You know, XYZ is way too expensive. Okay, yeah, it might be out of your pocketbook. Um, but if you just want to find a good vet, ask for where to find a good vet. Yeah. Um, but I will say that often good and cheap do not go together. Mm. Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, there can be some wonderful veterinarians that have low prices um, because that is their business model. Mm -hmm. um, or they may live in an area that is a much lower cost of living. Mm -hmm. Um, but all of that stuff that you see, like our x-ray equipment, our um, otoscopes and ophthalmoscopes, that's all human equipment. So yeah. when you think about, you know, if your dog needs an MRI, that's the same MRI machine that gets made for human medicine. Mm -hmm. um, our prices to buy them are the same. <laughs> so yeah. when you're like, this is too expensive. Well, you know, what would that cost if it was in human medicine? Mm-hmm. Just remember that and and be like, we're not price gouging you. Like, don't don't say we're all money grubbing. It hurts. Like, it quicks us to the bone. Yeah. Um, you know, or this person doesn't care. Yeah. I can tell you there has been a lot of times in my career that I have cared more than the person that brings them in. Mm -hmm. You know, the number of times that I've had someone say, well, go ahead and kill it because I'm not going to or I don't. I don't want it anymore. I'm not going to deal with this. Mm. Or, you know, for 50 cents, I can shoot it. Oh, you know, and that's awful. You know, people think that euthanasia is the worst thing that we deal with. Um, for me personally, the worst thing is knowing that there's a patient that I could help that walks out without treatment. Wow. I cannot even imagine as a vet as anyone who dedicates your life, your time, your money, your all, your emotional well-being to animals and then have have the clients react in that way and have a disregard for something that you that you have put so much of your life into. <laughs> so it, it I think it really just goes back to speak to everything that we've talked about so far in this interview of of the emotional whiplash and the hardships of the job itself, plus 
the sometimes awful interactions with the actual humans. Because obviously the animals are fine. They, they <laughs> they're not the problem. Usually, <laughs> most of the time, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. they bite. <laughs> it happens. I still yeah. love them. <laughs> it's usually not their fault. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it is a it's a whirlwind, and you know, even when people do say horrible things, like you know, it's just the cost of a bullet or whatever. Um, it usually is hiding some other pain or fear. Mm -hmm. And so we try and um, recognize that that's where it's coming from. Yeah. Um, although in some places, that's a mandatory reported thing. So you do want to be car careful as mm -hmm. well because, um, you know, if... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we want to be cautious there. So, I mean, not that I think any of your listeners would be saying that. No, I have definitely the yeah, obsessed dog parents. Sometimes a spouse yeah. would. Yeah, good point. Good point. <laughs> um, well, we try and treat you with respect. Mm -hmm. And if you can treat us with respect, I think we'll everybody will get along fine. Yeah. Um, but just be there. Stand up for us when you see a chance. You know, we always like food and presents. Like, who doesn't like food and presents? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. I What you just said, the food and the presents. Sometimes that was like, that was the only thing that anyone ate that day. Because they were constantly running around. Right. We just had a counter in the back that was probably a little too close to um, the lab station. And But, <laughs> but that's where we put all yes. the food. OSHA's yeah, not yeah. listening. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about some of the samples that were being brought in for, you know, to go on to oh those <laughs> microscopes, oh, yeah. um, the food was probably a little too close. But, but yeah, we just had a food, you know, like this counter on the back and people would bring in food, especially around Christmas. And that was just like, you just grab something mm -hmm. as you go and, and before your next appointment. And yeah, that was, but also I would say try to bring in like healthy things, everyone, because if it's only like cheese <laughs> and chocolate and cake and like maybe maybe bring in something so yummy. yeah occasionally like healthy <laughs> vegetables yeah. are fine <laughs> bring a little yeah crudite plate and some you know one of those like flower fruit arrangements or something um those are always easy right. yeah i love that um and actually through our website uh, nomv.org uh you can sign up to be a bringer of joy to veterinary clinics oh so um, that's our first step in becoming a volunteer, actually, mm -hmm. is that you can do something to support the veterinarians in your community. Uh, so one of the things I do is um, I will go out and especially when things are on sale, like I'll get cheese and crackers and a fruit tray or a vegetable mm -hmm. tray or whatever, and I'll get a whole bunch of them. And then I deliver those to vet clinics along with a little note saying thank you for everything you're yeah. doing. Um, a few months ago, I did this and, uh, you know, they're all curbside and everything was crazy and everyone was stressed out. And so I called in from my parking spot and they answered the phone and <laughs> they're like, you know, what's your emergency? And I'm like, well, I don't have an emergency. I don't even have a pet with me, but I'm here to deliver gifts. Oh, and the woman started crying. Oh, my gosh. Like, it was just such a hard day for the yeah. receptionist yeah. <laughs> that she just burst into tears. And then I guess there was like a scuffle to find out who could come out to get the <laughs> gifts. <laughs> uh, so it took a little bit. But like it just it made a big difference. And so I did that for all of the emergency clinics in southeastern Wisconsin. Wow. I just like just drove around all day delivering gifts. And it was amazing. I I loved it. A friend of mine came with me. She's also in the veterinary community. She's from Milwaukee, but she lives out on the East Coast. And so she's like, hey, I'm going to be in town. Can we do this? I'm like, yes. And so you can do it with friends, like get together, go to your vet clinic, go to like all the vet clinics in mm -hmm. your town and just be like, hey, I care. Um, that's amazing. And you don't have to do like all crazy like we did. But yeah, um, you know, that's just a way to say we see mm -hmm. you. You're not alone. You have yeah. support. That's amazing. I And then just post it on social media. Yeah. No, thank you so much for <laughs> mentioning that um, as another option for people, because we have talked a lot about all of the help NOMV does for the veterinary community. But yeah, to be able to volunteer and actually help as a 
layperson, as a as a regular person, as just the client, <laughs> then I think that is so. Yeah, it, it would be really special to be able to make a difference in that way and and to volunteer in that way. So I absolutely love that. Um, yeah, well, I think you have given us so much information, Dr. Melanie. Thank you for this amazing interview. I think we've touched on a very wide range of things. As you said, it sounds like everything is so multifactorial. <laughs> it's very <Yeah>. multifactorial. <laughs> like, it seems to be the title of the episode. <laughs> multifactorial. Um <laughs> And yes, as you said, it's so many factors go into the issues that are seen in the veterinary community, as well as the improvements that can potentially be seen. And I think as dog parents, it's all really important for us to be aware of these issues, as well as try to make a small difference if we can, whether it's just showing a little bit more of human compassion back towards the vet office when we're there, whether it's dropping off the gifts. I think it's it's really important. Um, or if it's just preventative, as you said, preventative medicine and making sure that our dogs are very well cared for and we are preventing problems before they show up. I think any of those things that we can do to help, I think it's so important for us to hear about and, and be more aware about. So just to wrap up, this is the With a Dog podcast. I know you don't have a dog currently, but you work with them on the day-to-day basis. So why do you choose life with a dog? Uh, because what is life without a dog? My cat is actually trying to get into the room right now. He thinks he's a lab. Uh, <laughs> like food. <laughs> he's like sitting there screaming at me. Uh, but I mean, really, I, I would not want to live in a world without dogs, without cats, without animals. And I, I honestly believe that I was put on this earth to take care of animals. And, you know, sometimes it, it helps when there's people around to help take care of me. Love that. That's a great answer. You're here for them and then other people can be here for you. And that's what makes the world go round. I like that a lot. Thanks. Okay. Well, for anyone who wants to connect with Nomvi or learn more about it, can you plug the info for people? Yeah. So um, our website is www.nomv.org. Our Facebook is uh, facebook.com, not one more vet uh, spelled out. Um, the individual groups you can get to from either of those places, we can mm-hmm. help you. <laughs> um, and we have Instagram at not one more vet as well. And I believe we have Twitter. I don't use that <laughs> often, but I think that's also. Yeah. <laughs> At not okay. one more vet. Um, yeah, and we are happy to answer questions. And if you want to, you know, speak to me about something specifically, uh, my email is mgoble, my name, at nomv.org. Perfect. That was amazing. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this. As I said, I think it's a very important message to get out. And Dr. Melanie did a great job explaining everything to us. So, uh, if you want to follow the podcast, it's at with the dog podcast on Instagram, Facebook, t- uh, not Twitter, TikTok. And we have new episodes every Wednesday where I interview a guest. And then every other Friday is a short informational episode, which is just like 20 minutes info. And it's called FYI Fridays. So I hope you join us for that. And we'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>《Content on the With a Dog podcast is for informational and comedic purposes only. It should not replace professional advice, treatment, or diagnosis by a certified veterinarian, trainer, or behaviorist. 